Blog Talk Radio. And hello out there to all you Brooklyn folks. This is Sam Maxwell, and you are here with the Bedford and Sullivan Podcast, the podcast that keeps you, the audience, active listeners in the Brooklyn Dodgers TV series research process. And, you know, I, I right now am in Hoboken, New Jersey. Uh, New Jersey has a lot of Brooklyn fans, of course. They're, they're part of the expansion after the war. Uh, a lot of uh, Brooklyn folk moved out to Jersey. But it's not just New Jersey where the Dodgers uh, – uh, where the Dodgers aura stretches, and it stretches uh, generations and it stretches geography. And, and here to talk about that is Dodgers fan Rob Barnes from all the way out in Illinois. Rob, uh, it, it, we connected on Twitter, and it's so good to talk to you on the, Brook, the uh, Bedford and Sullivan podcast. It's great to meet you, Sam. It's great to talk and help out, and I'm honored to be on, buddy. So the way that we always like to start with our our guests the first time that they're on the podcast is kind of give a little bit of not only their their, uh, baseball history, but their personal history as well. So take it away. Okay. Uh, I'm I'm quote-unquote younger. I was born in 62. Now the year Ebbets Field came down, so – I have no firsthand vision or memories of Ebbets Field, the Brooklyn Dodgers, or anything like that. I grew up, I was born outside of Chicago uh, into a family that was big-time baseball fans, my mother especially. She was a huge Cub fan. We were uh, always watching the Cubs on TV, always uh, uh, going to games and things like that. Around 1969, my dad was in the process of changing jobs. He was uh, training to be a stockbroker, and you have to go through a licensing class. And in his class was Bill Singer, pitcher for the L.A. Dodgers. My dad was – they were about the same age. My dad was a couple years older. They became friends. And uh, Bill would get my dad uh, tickets and our whole family tickets to see the, the Dodgers and the Cubs every time they would come to Wrigley Field. So I thought that was beyond cool. I got to meet a bunch of the young uh, – of, of that era Dodgers like uh, Sutton, Jaeger, uh, say a bunch of them. And after Bill Singer got traded, Don Sutton became my dad's friend and he got us tickets. This went on for about a decade in the seventies and I loved it. It was fabulous. Around 72, after that incredible book, the boys of summer came out, I saw a copy of it sitting at a friend's of mine house. And I, and I glanced at it and started just paging through it and reading a little bit of it and said, wait a minute, I had no idea of the history. And so, therefore, I got into the history and started reading it. I read that book uh, shortly thereafter, started investigating more of it, and then more family backstory comes out, too. Uh, A couple years later, I learned that my grandfather was in the class of 1922 high school at a school called Culver Military Academy in Indiana. In his class was one Walter O'Malley. He never really talked about – my grandfather wasn't a big sports guy. He never really talked about uh, O'Malley. But I just thought, I just thought, whoa, that is really cool. And so then a couple years later, I go to my dad's 25th reunion from the same school, Culver Military Academy, and meet his roommate, who is one George Steinbrenner. So, I mean, I got in the baseball thing <laughs> hard and fast in the 70s. <laughs> It was just, and so here, and so later on, a couple of years later, I figured, you know, I got to pick a team. I picked, you know, I've met George Snabbert, who owns the Yankees. You know, I'm a, I'm a local guy. I, I could root for the Cubs or the White Sox, but I've met all these Dodger players. So I go, hey, I, I know baseball players. I've met them. That is the coolest thing ever. So I, I became a Dodger fan, 
and therefore started reading all the backstory. So my dad also, a couple years later than that, uh, has some baseball memorabilia sitting around. He has a ticket stub he shows me and gives to me. And it's, it's a ticket stub from uh, 1956 World Series. It's, it's Don Larson's perfect game. So my dad was there for that as well. Okay. So, I mean, all this tying in. And also, my mother also went to uh, a 47 World Series, the first uh, series, obviously, with Jackie at Ebbets Field. I have those tickets as well. So everything, all these cosmic tumblers keep telling me to pull in and be a Dodger fan. And all the while, my mother's giving me a hard time. You should be a Cub fan. But now that's the way it goes. <laughs> so that's the early part well, of Well, you know, something so, – I, I can I can relate before you continue. I can relate because I was raised as a Yankees fan, and even though my dad wasn't okay. as diehard of a baseball fan as as your parents were, and and as mm-hmm. he wasn't even as diehard of a fan as me, uh, you know the thing that he was the most passionate about was how passionate I was about baseball. But he would nice. rip me once I became a Mets fan because I converted, of course. Uh, once I became mm-hmm. a Mets fan, he would rip me. <laughs> Uh, uh, a, a lot about that in similar fashion to your mother. Yeah, well, of course. Oh, every year we, every spring we would make a bet who had the which team had the better record, the Cubs or the Dodgers. Would be five bucks every year until she died. We would bet, and you know I won that bet like ninety five percent of the time. So, <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So then, then the Cubs got good after she passed, but that's you know that's that's life. So then. Right. So, that's, uh, so, that's and, that's right. yeah. So, and moving on later in my years, you know, uh, the Dodgers are, you know, the Dodgers are, I'm, I've been reading all these different books. I became a, a more of a, of a history fan by reading books. I have collected and read over 50 books on the Brooklyn Dodgers alone. And just reading their history is just, it's just a tragic, incredibly wonderful, then tragic story all on its own. The fact that the fact that yeah. they their history is their history is just so it, it's it's a wonderful story how they start they have the early success in the in, in the teens then they go into the into the into the proverbial toilet for 20 years until Lee McPhail takes over and then there's this meteoric rise they finally finally win it in '55 and then two years later they're gone it's just sad yeah and. and- you know, it, it was. It, it's weird with Walter because he, he. It's such a gray area. You know, I've heard so many people talk well about him, especially Carl Erskine, who raves about oh, the way yes. that he treated his son, yes. who who is of special needs uh, uh, at at Dodger yes. Stadium one opening day is all the story that I remember about it. Um, but you know, there's also that part where you know he's wearing a keep the Dodgers in Brooklyn pin while also negotiating to go to LA at the same time. Well, uh, I know I, I'm so this, this story really, really uh, hurts me because, you know, just imagine if they'd still been there. I mean, I've, I've been by the, one of my trips to, to Brooklyn. I, I went to, it was when, uh, what's the basketball facility going up? It's come on. My, my brain's not there right now, but at Atlantic and Flashbook Flatbush where the Nets play. I, I went there when it was being built. And I just Barclays. could only Barclays. look at this and – thank you. Thank you, Barclays. I could only uh, – I walked around it, and I could only think of what if this had been that dome that, that Walter O'Malley wanted to build in 1950 
or 50 or in the mid 50s. How 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 wonderful that would have been to have this team still there and still thriving in that wonderful borough and it would just would have been fabulous. Yeah, and, and you then, know, I struggle I, with it as well um just because I'm such a big Mets fan and and there's it, mm-hmm. it's it, it's it's hard to think about for one thing you like I was even thinking about it the other day how both the Yankees and the Mets would never let a team come to Brooklyn now you know like right. that's just, oh, no, that would no. that would drag from both of their fan bases um but at the at the same time you know I, I it's just the way life works but I I do sometimes just wonder you know what it would be like just like you yeah I mean well first of all you're right. You, the, the Mets probably, in all practic, practicality, would not be there. The Mets wouldn't be there. The Giants probably still would have left. You know, they would have they would have gone to Minneapolis because Walter got them to go to San Francisco, which is a brilliant move up in and of itself to preserve the rivalry right. in California. But right, it would be the Dodgers and the Yankees. Imagine that rivalry would, would have been amazing. And but then uh, but then. You talk about stadium and stadium lifespans. If that stadium would have been built in the mid-50s, it would have been, quote-unquote, outdated. I don't know. Dodger Stadium's still living, but, you know, they would have been maybe even looking to upgrade it because think about the first domes that were built. The first domes that were built, none of them are around. So had had that stadium been built, what would have happened in the 90s? Well, the question is, would you know. he have adapted? Uh, would he have have evolved the style? Um, let's yeah. say, you know, Do- what's remarkable about Dodger Stadium is that there's no facade. Uh, but like when right. you think about right. it, um, when you think about it right now, like imagine you had the style of of Dodger Stadium, maybe with a dome added, mm-hmm. uh, right mm-hmm. in the middle of of uh, of, of, of Atlantic and Flatbush. You know, yeah, it, it, yeah, it's interesting exactly. because I, I I know that there were signs that uh, you know Brooklyn was decaying, but I believe that the exit of the Dodgers helped kind of kind of just push the boulder off the side of the mountain when it came to the way uh, yeah. uh, the place was developing. Uh, Bob McGee, uh, uh, Bob McGee, who wrote a fantastic uh, book about the Dodgers and Evans Field, mm-hmm. talked about how the neighborhood in many ways uh, was developing uh, around Evans Field was developing uh, or, or de-developing the same way that uh, the, yes. the ballpark around Shot Park was developing. Uh, and Very and much so. so. That, yes. that place didn't get torn down until the, the uh, I think, 1970, 71? In Shive, yes. Yes, Shive lasted until then. But it's sat empty. Well, it's only sat empty for a couple of years because the, the the Phillies moved into the vet in like seven. So, yeah, they they, they hold on to right, it longer. Exactly. And I've read a couple things. Yeah, I've read a couple things too. The reason why, because you look at the three parks that were built around thirteen and fourteen: Ebbets Field, uh, Fenway Park, and Wrigley Field. The reason why Ebbets Field decayed so much, not neighborhood uh, factors notwithstanding was the fact that the Dodgers were so successful and they had always had people running in and out of there and they never really had time to put money into it and or need to put money into it. Whereas the other two teams, Fenway and Wrigley, both they kind of had downspent. Well, the Cubs obviously had a huge downturn. The Sox had downturns too, and they were able to just 
not really think about even moving into a new stadium. Yeah, that's a great point. Because, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. I, I think I think yes. that he was he 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 let uh, because he was so desperate for another stadium. And I read a book that talked about how a lot of it had to do with the fact that Charlie Evans didn't necessarily design it to be well kept up. It it went out of date very quickly. No matter how yeah. much people, it's one of those you know it was a dump, but it's our dump. But Walter O'Malley didn't necessarily have <laughs> yeah. incentive to put any money into it. Right, and and he also saw what happened in Milwaukee. He saw that the Braves moved from Boston to Milwaukee into this newer, bigger, quote unquote, modern stadium with access for parking, with access to, to the expressways, able to get thousands of people in and out. He saw that, and he saw he saw dollar signs. He was a businessman, and and unfortunately, this is really a story of of the romance of baseball. And everybody wants to think that, oh, they're our team and it's everything, but the people who own them, unfortunately, they're looking to maximize their profits. And, but the, and the other thing is people talk about, oh, O'Malley was, was all set to move to L.A. O'Malley was a New Yorker first and foremost. He moved to, to Los Angeles on a whim and a prayer. They didn't have a stadium deal out there either. They moved into the – he walked off the plane and immediately got served by papers for them trying to take away the fact that they wanted to move into Chavez Ravine. I mean, there's, I mean, you look at this historically in a, in a business pers- perspective too, there's so many uh, potential plans for this to go uh, completely awry. There was talk of him maybe even moving back to New York after uh, like the first year of not getting the stadium deal and getting the land. So, I mean, it was just crazy. Just imagine, though, had that happened. And talk about, you know, oh. coming back with mud on your yeah. face. Yo, with uh, yeah, your tail <laughs> dragged between your legs. Oh, oh, you better believe it. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh my but, God. Yeah, talk about the books. And I know. Stuff. And, and, the books. Yeah, it's, it's it's the 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 thinnest of margins. Uh, I was gonna say. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, the, but the first book I read that really really explained the the situation in a, in a. Uh, a very fair situation was the Dodgers move West by Neil Sullivan. It really is the first book I read that really brought Robert Moses into the, into the, into the equation. I know I've heard him brought up on your podcast several times. He wasn't a sports fan. He didn't really care. He wanted to put them in Flushing where Shea stadium and your beloved Mets are. Walter, Walter wanted the Brooklyn Dodgers. He did, which yeah, I can, I can see both sides of the coin too. I can't. Well, and, and I'll, I'll say this, too. I can kind of understand, and, and this is nothing against Queens, but it's basically like it's Brooklyn or bust if we're going to stay in New York. And I can understand That's, the argument mm-hmm. of moving to a yep. different town instead of going yep. to a different borough. Yep, exactly. And it's, you know, and he's fought, he's fought Moses uh, tooth and nail on this. You know, here, condemn the land. I'll buy it. Just give me the just give me the right to buy the land. I'll buy the land. I'll build this gorgeous stadium right by public transportation. People can get in and out. It will be wonderful. It will be fabulous for everybody. The New York infrastructure, everything. As I said, Moses wasn't a baseball fan. He didn't care. He said, "No, we're going to throw you out here." So, you know, so I can I can see Walter's side of the uh, of the equation. I can. So, in terms of that though, 
you know, Moses was encouraging him to go negotiate with the landowners. What's your opinion yes. about Walter not doing that and just wanting the land condemned? Well, well, it, this is really, really what Ebbets did the same thing in, uh, in Pigtown where he, when he built Ebbets Field. He, he secretly went behind everybody's back and bought I, – I just read it again a couple of days ago, like 2,000 parcels of land or something before it. I mean that's just – imagine it's just you know a little uh, uh, yeah. what, a 200-foot wide parcel by the next one. This guy won't sell me. Uh-oh, I've got to come back to it. I don't know. Walter, he was a lawyer. He was a smart man. He, he Maybe he just said, you know what? I want – this is the only thing I want. If you can't help me with this, maybe I'm taking my, my ball and going home you know, or going elsewhere. I, that, that, that's a tough question to, to, to answer, Sam, because it's, I don't know, it's, it's speculation. Yeah. It really is. Right. It's yeah. all just hypothetical. Um, right. And right. You, you know what's remarkable is I, I was very lucky to go to the Brooklyn – uh, the the um, Brooklyn Historical Society. I I, I think I'm, I feel like I'm missing a word in there, but I think it's just the Brooklyn Historical the History Society. Museum. And they I had attended the, Dodgers. the Dodgers exhibit. I saw it. Yeah, I was there in it, 2011. It was, it I just was saw my specifically. From it. Yep. Say that again. It was in 2011 at the History Museum. I was there. I went yes. and saw it. Oh, that's amazing. So what's remarkable is that yeah, on my trip It was there. basically like a Tuesday. It was like a Tuesday afternoon that I went, and I was the okay. only one in the entire building. And so I was okay. able to go around the exhibit and take photos yep. galore, including, I'm looking including at my every now. single yep. page. Yeah, oh, nice. mm. uh, including every single page of Walter O'Malley and Robert Moses' correspondence. And then when I went wow. upstairs, when I went, when I went upstairs, Somebody t- tells me, oh, you're not allowed to take photos. And I was like, great, I've gotten what I needed. <laughs> Thanks, bye. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah, and, you know, they're, they're crisp. Like, like, we're talking, like, I could print these pages up, and it would look like they were Wonderful. direct, you know, directly from the, from the, the original typewriter, the way That's uh, the camera was at the time. That's fabulous. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking at my, my pictures are right here. It was 2011. I was out there, I think, in the springtime because I was still a little chilly. Yeah, it wasn't baseball season yet, but it was an incredible exhibit. It was I was so glad to be able to be there at, at, at the right place at the right time. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, it, 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 it's really great that you also took in. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, it, it was really mm-hmm. well-done collection, and, and there's a lot of hidden gems when it comes to, to Brooklyn. I, uh, one yeah. particular author that I saw at the library once upon a time who uh, wrote a book on the move of both teams out of New York, uh, he said, mm-hmm. he, you know, he had a great line that, that you know, uh, let's say uh, George Washington's house in the old uh, uh, ballpark, Washington Park, uh, at 3rd and 4th mm-hmm. Avenue. Um, right. You know, it, there, there it is sitting uh, uh, completely uncelebrated, uh, where you'd have to pay fifty dollars in Boston just to look at it. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think perfect. it's remarkable. Um, so, what are some what are some of your favorite 
parts about learning about uh, Dodgers history? What what are some of your favorite moments that you've uh, retroactively taken in? Oh, well, the, perhaps the biggest thing was getting to meet a bunch of them firsthand. Uh, I, was a, I was able to attend not one but two Dodger fantasy camps at Vero Beach before they moved out. I purposefully wanted to go there and experience Vero Beach and experience everything that that, that, that place was before they moved. And uh, in 2007, uh, it was probably the fall of 2006, I just dropped my daughter off at school and I had, the sport, I had sports radio on and I heard that the Dodgers and the White Sox had signed an agreement to uh, build a joint spring training facility in Glendale, Arizona which signaled the end of Dodger Town. So I immediately went home, and I'd been waiting around this, and I had got the blessing from my family to do this, and I had some inheritance money left over from my parents who had passed away a couple of years ago, and I said, oh, I really want to do this. I signed up and did the Dodgers Fantasy Camp, and I was able to do it for two years and got to meet uh, Carl Erskine, Duke Snyder, George Shuba, Joe Pignatano, Roger Craig, and just from the Brooklyn side, and a bunch of guys from – from the LA side as well. And being able to meet and hang with these, these incredibly wonderful gentlemen and to talk with them and rub elbows with them from basically for an entire week was just mind blowing for a Dodger fan. It just, it's, and that, yeah, yeah, it's just incredible. And the baseball was incredible too. And being able to, and you talked earlier, you talked about, about Jimmy Erskine, Carl's son, Jimmy was there with Carl and Betty the whole week hung out with us the whole week. And one of the highlights of the week is on Thursday afternoon and that they play a game where the, where the campers, all the different camper teams play the, the, the Dodger teams and they all play. And then after that game, Carl gets out and pitches to Jimmy and Jimmy gets up to bat and he, you know, he, he can hit the ball. He hit the ball, he had a great ball past second base, you know, and runs home and slides and does a belly flop into home and everybody's cheering him on and taking pictures and everything. And afterwards, I went out and grabbed the ball, and, I, and I, I went up to Carl and said, hey, Carl, here, here's the ball Jimmy hit. He flips to me and says, you keep it. And I still have that ball in my basement. It's just beyond uh, cool. Oh, that's amazing. He is just yeah. a remarkable person to, to uh, discuss baseball with and, and discuss oh. the, the era. And, I, you know, he's, he's sharper than me when it comes to speaking, and, and he's almost, I think he's 91, 92 now. And I, yes. um, a couple mm-hmm. years ago, when I was traveling out to to uh, go to spend the last few months with my dad, um, I got a chance to, to to sit down and have breakfast with him. Mm. And it was wonderful, quite, quite the sight, seeing him independently drive up, you know, in an SUV mm. like like mm-hmm. he was no older than twenty years old. You know, and I think I think the fact that everybody's been asking him to relive everything has kept him as sharp as, mm-hmm. as he is. I think so, and I think Jimmy has kept him alive too, has kept him young too, because Jimmy is obviously he needs help, and they have been wonderful with him. The, all the I've read his books about him. You know, he, uh, in Boys of Summer, uh, Roger Kahn. This is when it's it's uh, this is the first recollection I see of it in print. Roger Kahn goes and visit him at, at his house and takes him around. And, and Jimmy is a wonderful, wonderful man. He's a tick older than me. He's about my age. And 
the fact that Jimmy is thriving and still doing wonderful, I think it's obviously helped Betty and Carl as well. And as far as I'm concerned, Carl's a living legend. He really is. He's the spokesperson of the Brooklyn Dodgers, and I've loved hearing him on your podcast. Yeah, and I have to give a shout-out to Mark Langell, uh, the official Dodgers historian for, for the team, uh, for hooking me up with Carl. Carl has been nothing but remarkable. I, I, I know he's definitely the one who's been on the podcast the most, and, and uh, there's, there's not a short amount of words to say about him. That is for sure. Yeah, he is graceful. He's elegant. He's humble. He is knowledgeable. He is – I mean, he lived through the move. He started the first game in L.A., so he has that recollection side of it yeah. as well, too. He threw two no-hitters for the Dodgers, which is which is amazing. The guy, uh, he's just a great human being, and uh, he's wonderful. Well, I hope to see him uh, uh, sooner than later again. You know, I've been wanting to go back out there. Uh, I, I've discovered that with my job as a Lyft driver rideshare, Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, actually, I can drive Indiana. It's just, unfortunately, you kind of oh. need a foundation under, underneath you, uh, before you okay. just show up in these, these other States, because, you know, you're used to a certain level of money per Clientel. day and per week. Okay. Um, yeah. but I, yeah. if, if, if I could just bounce from city to city doing this gig, I would. Yeah, it's, that would be cool. Yeah, I mean, he's, what, just north northeast of Indianapolis. That's, that's, there's a lot of people there, obviously. Yeah, just, yeah. Of course, of course. Yeah, no, I, I didn't think that Indianapolis was as plentiful as I expected it to be, but, you know, it's a growing business. It's also a growing city. And oh, sure. um, oh, you, you never know yeah. what kind of day, day it could be. Um, so... You know, we're we're coming up to five minutes before the uh, end of the podcast, Rob, and I I, I think that you know I, I'm I'm trying to think of where I want to go with it, but it, I keep coming back to the transcendence of this team and, and how they've been. It, it's been so fascinating to to talk to people about how much not only that it connects, uh, how many people who lived it are connected to it, but how many people just love the imagination now that it's basically become just, you know, images of mostly black and white. And I think, uh, you know, it's fascinating to me how connected the Giants franchise still is to their New York roots. Um, And and I think Willie Mays helped keep a lot of people uh, involved back, back in this area. Whereas the Dodger fans felt such a burn and such, such, so, uh, uh, you know, just neglected when the Dodgers left. You being a, a Los Angeles Dodgers fan as well, how do you feel the Dodgers franchise reconnects with their Brooklyn roots? Well, I like how uh, uh, the O'Malley's have always, but back when the O'Malley's owned it, and even now the current ownership, Friedman and everybody else, you know, they – they are connecting back on Jackie Robinson day this year. Uh, I don't know if you caught it. You know, everybody wears 42. The Dodgers wore a gorgeous hat with the Brooklyn B that looked bigger than the, than it used to be when they wore it here, when they wore it back in Brooklyn. And I looked all over the internet trying to find that hat and couldn't, but that's another side of the point. The Dodgers have, uh, they've uh, looked back at their history fondly. Uh, 
several years ago they wore on uh, selected home day games. They wore the the baby blue satin jerseys they wore back in the late 40s when the lights first came to Abbott's Field, and I, I believe it was still McPhail yeah. was the and he introduced those, snappy, and, and those were just, yeah, those were fabulous. They wore those. You know, they've got the, the retired numbers and everything, obviously, and you referenced Mark Langle earlier, too, and I just heard him interviewed on another podcast. If I could have a job, I'd have his job to be Dodger historian. Um, they're always tying back with nights, special nights and bobbleheads, and they just refer, uh, reference back to the uh, the Campanella night, where uh, the night back in '58 after uh, Roy was injured, and they had the night with the special game for him exhibition against the Yankees at uh, the Coliseum that drew 90,000 plus people. They reference back to that. They made a bobblehead of that too, about four or five years ago. You know, they're, and they're think about bobbleheads. They're all, they're always doing bobbleheads of the. Of uh, back to the Brooklyn days as well, so that's 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 great. Yeah, that is fantastic. I actually was able to collect one fortuitously. The only time, and I had no idea entering the stadium that this was going to be the bobblehead, nice. which was uh, a a Don Newcomb Brooklyn Dodgers bobblehead. It was wonderful, just so perfect. Yeah, it was so perfect uh, of of a night. And, you know, it, it kind of helped transition me to the National League that year, 2004, when I was in okay. Los Angeles for a month. And although I, I have not taken to ever moving to Los Angeles, uh, that season of just taking in uh, uh, the Dodgers for one month was one of the things that by February of 2005 helped seal the deal with uh, shifting myself over to the the National League side of things in New York City, and uh, as as frustrating as the Mets can be, I don't regret a single minute of it. Uh, Rob, we're going to be losing our live folks, uh, but if if you want to stick around, we basically have a, a few more minutes and we can talk. Certainly, I'm, I'm here. I got some time. So to finish up about that game, what was remarkable about the game as well, if you remember the 2004 season. Adrian Beltre was hitting a lot of home runs on his way to a Hall of Fame career. <laughs> yes, he was. And uh, Eric Gagne was was still in his uh, during his big uh, uh, save streak. And um, so for the uh, I think Jose Lima started the the game too. And and this is when Jose Lima was was good before you know he Lima wasn't, time. He was, you know like 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 the Mets the Mets usually get these guys at the tail end of their career. Um, but Jose Lima started the game. The Padres were leading 2-1. to one. I got to see Eric Gagne hold the, the score at 2-1, nice. and Adrian Beltre hit a two-run walk-off home run in the bottom of the ninth. <laughs> okay. That's pretty exciting. That is. <laughs> um, that on is. top of uh, – it's the only time I've ever been to Dodger Stadium, and, and combined with the Don Newcomb bobblehead, I don't think I could ever top that experience other than maybe the Mets winning there. <laughs> yeah. That's uh that's a pretty good one. That really is. And well, it's nice to see you come over to the now, to the to the National League cuz the DH, I don't like the DH. We can talk. I could talk for 20 minutes no, about the DH. No. I, <laughs> oh my god, exactly. And and the fact that they're on their way to considering uh 
I know. Uh, getting rid of it. I, I think that people like Noah Syndergaard, who hit two home runs in Dodger Stadium in one game, uh, yes, he you know, did. Is a testament to it, it's a testament to um, why it shouldn't be the case. Now, I think there's too much money tied up in it now. I think there's too much. Uh, uh, you know, I, I I could never hate though on David Ortiz. You know, like. There, there are some benefits. You get players like David Ortiz, who are just a remarkable talent to watch. And but at the same time, we wouldn't have Bartolo Colon's home run, which is just one of the right. great moments <laughs> in in baseball history. I think I, I really do. I it, it, I don't think I, that's a that's a stretch. You know, it's, he's never gonna he, he's most likely retired now. I don't think he's officially come out and said he's retired. Um, but it, it, he's he's never going to have that chance again. And you knew that if he ever connected the right way, he would do something <laughs> that magical. And his helmet flies off, and everybody goes crazy. <laughs> that right. is fabulous. And but there's, the, there's, there's parts. It's 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 not even the hitting part. It's 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 the the ineptitude that also makes people excited. You know, it, it, it's these little things. One of the, the reasons why, and, and there's some great baseball fans who are Yankee fans. I don't want to take away from, from them, but there's something oh, sure. about, there's something about the metaphor for life being a Mets fan. And, you know, the, the thing is the Yankees separate themselves so much from, from the rest of baseball in many ways that there's, it's not just about being a Mets fan. It's about being a fan of baseball that reminds you to soak up the, the little things because this, this life is just filled with such darkness in, in many ways that you have to oh, bask yourself yeah. in all the little great moments as much as you can. And that's what I believe being a Mets fan and a baseball fan is all about. And that's why I just decided that I, I couldn't really, I, I didn't have it in me to be a, a fan of the Yankees anymore. <laughs> that's, it's it's kind of like here in Chicago, too, with the Cubs and the White Sox. You know, it's it's the, the, the riches and the non-riches, if you will, you know, whatever analogy you want to put to them. You know, it's always felt like the, here in, the, in Chicago that the, the, the White Sox are the poor stepchild to the Cubs. You know, poor audience. You know, every once in a while they come up and be good. But the, the Cubs recently, obviously, have been good. But for years they were bad. But even when the but even when the Cubs were bad, it was it was always the Cubs were like up on a pedestal and the White Sox were like five steps down. Right, and, and that's. You know, it's funny because that's what I've heard as well, even though – and I think it also attests to the way uh, the American League separated itself from the National League because you have, you know, uh, muted, darker colors on the American League side of things, and then you have this colorful, you know, lovable loser type type uh, fascination on the National League side of things, even though it sounds yeah. like the Cubs are the more popular team, you would say. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh my thousandfold it's not it's not even close it is i mean try to buy a ticket at wrigley versus trying to buy you can walk up to any window any any game at at the at, uh, at, at uh, the sock whatever it's Sox park is called now you can walk up and buy a ticket any any day but it's oh yeah it's oh yeah 
and and but that and that's the thing though. It's it's like the dynamic between the Mets and the Yankees. It's it's you know just not only are you do do you as the Mets uh, uh, have this tradition of of being the lovable losers and have owning the worst record in modern baseball history for a season. Oh yeah. Uh, but you also have to live. You also have to live with the the uh the ones that have the most championships of all time. And you know, yeah, there's that's... no woe is me. You can't take the woe is me uh, uh position with it, but you can imagine how living in that in that city and what the dynamic is and, and how why uh Mets fans Yankee fans can root for the Mets but you're generally not gonna find Mets fans that that will say, you know what, it's New York. It's I'm gonna root for New York. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I can see that. It's it's almost that way here in Chicago too. Uh, it's you rarely find somebody who roots roots the other way. I've got a buddy who does roots for both fans, but for both teams, excuse me. But it's rarely you see that here in the city. And I think it's that way in in every two uh, team market. L.A. is probably the same. San Francisco, even though there's a little bit of separation in between San Francisco and Oakland, is probably the same. Yeah, it's 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 the way baseball works and fandom works. Right, exactly. Um, well, we we must get going, uh, uh, Rob. But what I always like to do is ask for a last word of our guest. First of all, thank you so much for for joining us today, and, and uh, take it away, Rob. Okay, my first of all, Sam, thank you. My pleasure. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me on. I was honored to be asked. I'm humbled to be asked, and. Moving forward with your project, I wish you all the, the best of it because the story of the Brooklyn Dodgers is a story that that a lot of people know. But if more people can be can learn about it, it, would just be all the more more powerful for the story. And it's like I said, it's a wonderful story, and I wish you all the best moving forward with it. Thank you so much, Rob, and and hopefully one day it'll all come together. And you have to keep you have to keep believing, as we say on on my Mets side of things, as part of the uh, the <laughs> National League legacy of New York. You gotta believe, as Tug McGraw stated go. in 1973. Rob, thank you so much for joining us today, and thank you Thanks, all Sam, out there for listening. Uh, always a pleasure to to have you uh, listening in. Uh, we can't do this without you, and uh, keep on trucking. So. Uh, Enjoy the day wherever you are. Take care. Thank you.